Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the 3rd floor. Hope to see you soon. Well, this morning I am um, doing something a little bit different, something that many of you guys aren't used to, which is I'm wearing a tie. Uh, which is sort of a funny thing, because uh, in my last two churches, I was wildly associated as the guy who wears bow ties. That was sort of the thing, right? When people at the church saw me, they assumed, oh, he'll be wearing a bow tie. In fact, if I wasn't wearing a bow tie, at, at our mother church in Tampa at Westtown, there were a few times where I decided, you know what? It's the middle of the summer. It's really hot. I don't feel like buttoning my top button. I'm just not going to wear a tie today. People lost it. People could not handle the fact that I wasn't wearing a bow tie. Which is funny because most of you here at City Church, this is the first time that you've realized that I own a bow tie. This is the first time that you've ever seen me in a tie. So I decided, you know what, it's Christmas, I'll dress it up a little bit, I'll make it a little fun, we'll be a little festive. It's funny how expectations sort of change things. When they don't see me in a tie, it throws them off. When people who've never seen me in a tie before see me in a tie, it throws them off. There's a, an unevenness. There's a failure to meet expectations. When we come to the Christmas story, when we come to the story of Jesus' birth, that's a lot of what was going on. A lot of what was going on was this sort of failure of expectations to be met, failure of things to go the way people planned. Because... The Romans had a very, very specific idea of how their leaders were supposed to be born. If you go back and read the stories of how all of the Caesars were born, they wax very eloquent. They give them these amazing stories. They say, um, when Caesar Augustus was born, the world stopped. The sun stood still. They sort of give the Caesars these incredible origin stories. It's sort of the opposite of Star Wars. Right, where you had this incredible story and then they said, hey, let's go back and tell you the origin story of Darth Vader, except they did a terrible job and everybody hates those movies, right? They say, that's not a good origin story. The Caesars all had good origin stories. They all had great stories of their birth and that when these men were born, they were born to lead. They were born to be powerful. They were born to be the king. And so when Romans saw someone who was important, they gave them this story of their birth. What's interesting is that the Jewish folks living around the same time as Jesus, uh, to some degree, had done the same thing. They were expecting that a Messiah would come. They were expecting that someone would come to free them from the Romans, to free them from the oppression that they had been under. They were expecting someone to come, and they were expecting him to come just like Caesar. Just like Alexander the Great was born in these amazing circumstances. Just like Caesar Augustus came from these incredible origin stories. They expected that they would get their own incredible origin story. That they would get their Caesar, only he'd be Jewish, and he would throw off the Romans, and he would start a new empire. That would look just like the Roman Empire, except Jewish. And they had these expectations of how Jesus was going to be born. Of these expectations of power. Well, 
most of you who are here this morning at church on a Sunday have probably heard the Easter or the Christmas story once or twice. In fact, when we sing while shepherds watch their flocks by night, it's our text from Luke 2. It's almost exactly the same thing. And so you know that the origin story of Jesus is not one of power. It's not one of prestige. It's not some amazing origin story that came out of nowhere. And when we think about the Christmas story, we fall into a couple of traps. You and I fall into usually the traps of either complacency or the trap of of pride. Let me explain what I mean by that. Some of you are Christians who have been Christians for a long time. Some of you may have grown up in a Christian home. And you have probably heard the Christmas story read, recited, or sung literally thousands of times. I mean, every sort of Christmas event, if you're in a Christian family, has some four or five-year-old who has memorized Luke 2, who the family puts up on a chair and lets them go to town, and they recite Luke 2. And it's, it's beautiful. It really is. It's so cute. But you've heard it a thousand times. You've been to a Christmas Eve service. You've been to Christmas Day service. You've been there a ton. And it's easy for us to go, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. I, you know, there, there's some other... G- give me something else because I've heard this story. I've, I've heard this story before. Uh, On the other hand, uh, perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian this morning. Uh, When you hear the Christmas story, it's easy to gloss over it as sort of this schmaltzy sentimentality. That it's like a step above a Charlie Brown Christmas. I don't know if you've gone back and watched a Charlie Brown Christmas, um, but outside of nostalgia, it's got nothing going for it. (laughs) It really doesn't. I, I watched The Great Pumpkin with our boys on Halloween, and I was just like, Very unimpressed. I did not enjoy it at all. But there's sort of this sentimentality, right? There's a picture that's been going around social media that shows all the kids dancing on stage and and the piano player. And it says, it's not Christmas until you see this. And it's easy, even if you're not religious, to sort of gloss over the Christmas story and go, yeah, 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 it's just this thing we do at Christmas and it's no big deal. On the other hand, what prevents us from having joy around the Christmas story can be our pride. If you've been a Christian for a long time, it can be easy for you to say, you know, I've heard the Christmas story. This is like the ABCs of Jesus. Can can we get on to something more important? Can we do something more interesting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was born. There was a barn. I got it. I've heard it before. Can, Can we do something bigger and better? And what happens is our pride gets in the way of us hearing this story fresh, hearing this story once again. But there's another way that pride can get in our way. The Christmas story is ultimately about a Savior coming. It's what the angels said. It's what Mary's song was about. It's what Jesus' uncle Zechariah's song was about. It's the, the, all the birth narratives of Jesus. All of these stories point to him as a savior, which begs a question. Are you in need of any sort of saving? And it can be easy for us to put ourselves out of it, to say, no, I'm good. Whether that's because we don't believe in God or because we think that we've got this Christianity thing taken care of. 
And it can be really easy for us to sort of say, I've heard the Christmas story. I know a Savior came. I don't really need that. Wherever you are this morning, wherever your heart is, what I want to talk about today is the fact that our pride and our complacency rob us of the joy and mission of Christmas. When we let these ideas, whether it's saying that it's sentimental, saying that we don't need it, saying that we've heard it a thousand times before, wherever you are, when we let those things, that pride and complacency creep in, what happens is we're robbed of the joy that we can have as Christmas. It's, it's as if a thief comes up and steals our Amazon Prime package right off of our doorstep, right? This is, this is the thing now because most of us get everything from Amazon Prime at this point. How easy is it for, for thieves to walk onto our doorstep, yoink, grab our whatever, and walk away, right? It happens all the time. It's happened tons of times here in St. Petersburg this month. What happens is our pride and our complacency are just like that thief. They steal our joy. They steal the mission of Christmas. So here's what I want to do. I want us to stand up in just a moment, and we're going to read again the Christmas story. I'm going to focus on the shepherds. So I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 8 of Luke, and we're going to read it together. I'll read it out loud. You read along with me in your head. And we're going to try to experience anew the joy of Christmas. So if you would stand with me as we read Luke 2. It says this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God and the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And the sh- but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So when we let our pride and complacency get in the way of this story, because we've heard it so many times before, we miss the joy. We miss the way that this story sort of flows and how it opens up to us. As we read this story, what's striking to me is the first thing out the gates is that there are these shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. They're out and they're waiting. They're taking care of their sheep. They're staying up. They're taking turns around the campfire, staying up at night. 
And then all of a sudden, an angel appears to them, and their first response is fear. The gut reaction to this angel showing up is fear, which, which is sort of strange to us because of the way that we picture angels. When you and I picture an angel, here's what we typically think of. Pretty white dress, whether it's a dude or a girl, pretty white dress, gold trimming, right? A halo and blonde hair, right? This, right? I mean, this is, this is, when I say angel, you think white dress, long-haired, androgynous thing that's very pretty. That, that's what we are trained in our minds to think of. And if that thing appeared to me, outside of the shock of, you know, that appearing in the sky, I don't know that I would be scared of that thing. That thing is kind of cute. It's kind of cuddly. I want to make it into a stuffed animal. In fact, we have. So why is it that when the shepherds all of a sudden see this angel, when the shepherds have this angel appear to them, what is it that makes them afraid? What makes the shepherds afraid is something that they know is something that they know in their bones and that the angel points out by its very presence. The shepherds were scared because they knew that they were unholy. The shepherds were scared because they knew the brokenness and darkness in their hearts. They knew that they were not worthy on their own to approach God. So when a messenger of God shows up, He's seen as a messenger of judgment. You know, it's interesting, the first time we see an angel in the story of the Bible is not where we would expect and does not look like the pretty thing that we put on top of our trees at Christmas. The first time we see an angel is after Adam and Eve have sinned. After God has sort of told them what their life is going to be like, how sin has wrecked them and how sin has wrecked the planet. After they see this, God kicks them out of Eden. He sends them out of Eden to the east. And then he puts an angel at the gates of the Garden of Eden. And this is no sort of pretty thing that you'd put on a tree. This is some terrifying messenger of God with a flaming sword that is moving at all times. This is a terrifying warrior to remind them of the consequences of their choices. To remind them of the consequences of what they've done. And so when the shepherds see these angels, their, their first reaction is not, aw, pretty. It's not neat, halos. It's not, oh good. It's, oh no. Oh no. This is not good. Because I'm not worthy to be in the presence of the God who's sending that angel. And the angel says to them, fear not. Fear not, for I am bringing you good news of great joy because a Savior has been born. The the angel says to them, 
you have great fear right now. I want you to trade that great fear for great joy. I know that you're terrified. I know that you feel in your bones the sense of unworthiness. I know that there is shame and guilt that haunts you. I know that. But here's what I'm telling you. You can trade that. You should trade that for great joy right now. Because a Savior has been born. The one who is going to make it possible for us to return to God. The one who is going to bring us back into peace with God. Who is going to make up for all the things that you've done. Who's going to clean you from all of the brokenness, the darkness, all of the messed up stuff you do. He has come. And so I know you feel that great fear right now. But let's trade that for great joy. Because a Savior, someone who's going to undo this curse, someone who's going to undo all of the bad things that have happened, has come. Uh, The Chronicles of Narnia is sort of a children's story uh, that was written by a brilliant, brilliant man. And he's tucked a number of things in that story. And The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is kind of always one that you watch around Christmas because it sort of happens around the time of Christmas. And one of the things that he says in that book is that when Aslan comes, who's the picture of Jesus, he says, when Aslan comes, all the sad things will become untrue. And what these angels are talking to these shepherds about is the fact that all of these sad things are beginning to come untrue. So as we look at the first part of this story, and then we look at our hearts, it, it evokes a question. Do I recognize the great fear Would I have that same response? Do I have an understanding of the fact that whether I'm a Christian or not, whether I would claim to be a Christian or not, I still have darkness in me. I still have brokenness. And it creeps out in all sorts of ways. And I know that the pictures that I put on Instagram, I know that the the self I project to other people is the good one. But I also know that behind that mask is someone who's still messed up. Uh, This happened to me this week. I had um, Dylan and Ryder, um, who aren't here, they're seeing some other friends uh, who are two of the little boys here in the church. And they came over and had a spend the night party with our boys at the house. And my wife just so happened to schedule that she had a girls' night that night. So she left me at home alone with four boys between the ages of three and eight who were running wild. And about 30 minutes before bedtime, I sent a picture to all the other parents who weren't there, two of whom were at a Christmas party, one of whom, one of whom was at Dats in Tampa having a great night while I was there by myself with all these kids. And all these kids, were, they, they were so cute. They were, they were paired up, brother, you know, one brother with you know, the other family's brother on these couch cushions, watching TV with blankets on, eating popcorn, right? And it was this beautiful scene. And I sent it all to the parents and like threw my shoulder out, patting myself on the back. You know, hey, I can parent four kids at the same time. Look at me. You know what? And there's a baby in the back who's asleep. Look at me. That's the self I wanted them to see. The reality was, ten minutes before this, I was screaming. <laughs> 
I mean, I was screaming. I had asked them to, to just help me clean up the room. And they had decided, like all boys do, that anything that's a stick is a sword, and any sword needs to be fought with. And so they were fencing. Do I send the picture of me, red-faced, losing it to these four little boys? Yelling more than I should have? Letting my anger control me? Or do I send the picture of ten minutes later when the sugar crash is starting to happen and they're lying quietly on the floor watching a movie? How often do you and I pull off that mask? How often do we stop and say, I need a great Savior because the brokenness in me is great. Whether we're Christians or not, that's something that all of us have to consider. And so these shepherds hear this message. And the angels tell them, here's the sign. Here is the big birth story that you're going to go looking for. You want to go find the Savior who has come to all people? Do you want to go find this amazing thing that's happened? Go to Bethlehem and look for a feeding trough. And when you find a feeding trough with a baby wrapped in rags in it, there's your Savior. Let me take this a step back. The shepherd's job was, on the one hand, the most unglamorous job in ancient Near East, uh, but on the other hand was also one of the more common jobs. It's interesting, the, the, the equivalency between shepherds and our modern-day truck drivers is high. right? You know, truck driver is one of the most common jobs in the United States of America. I didn't know that until I saw some little, like, did-you-know factoid clickbait that I went, yeah. I'm interested to know about that. Right? It is, right? And yet the sort of conception, whether right or wrong, good or bad, of truck drivers is that it's not an alluring career. This was the same thing as the shepherds. So God came to a bunch of truck drivers in the middle of the night and said, go find your Savior. He's in a feeding trough and he's wrapped in rags. That should give us strong what? Pause. That should give us a strange sense of shock. He's not born in Rome. He's not born in Moscow, Beijing, Washington, D.C., New York City. He's not born in a place of power. He's born in a small suburb of a medium-sized town on the edges of the empire. He's born in North Dakota. in a suburb of Pierre. Is that South Dakota? You know, see, see, we don't even know our Dakotas from one another. <laughs> That's the kind of place that Jesus was born. And Jesus chooses to identify himself first to shepherds. And he chooses that the sign that he gives him, here's how you'll know it's me. Look for the feeding trough. Look for the rags. When you find that, that's when you will find the Savior of the world. Why does he do that? Why does Jesus choose that way to show himself? Jesus chooses that 
because he is identifying with who he will later go on to call the least of these. Jesus comes and says, I am coming not for the powerful. I'm not coming just for the wealthy. I'm not showing favoritism by coming to the people that have it together. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to the least of these. I'm going to come to shepherds and truck drivers. And I'm not going to be born in a palace. And I'm not going to be born in the temple. I'm going to be born in a stall. And the best thing they're going to have for a crib is a feeding trough. Because this is who I am choosing to identify myself with. That's a tough pill for most of us to swallow. That God chooses to identify with those people. Why? Because we like to think of ourselves as doing okay. I may have a little debt. I may, I may have some problems in my life. I may, I may not have the job that I'll have in 10 years. But you know what? By and large, I'm doing okay. And when it comes to this morality game, I'm doing all right with that too. I'm not the worst person. I, I'm definitely in the top 50% of people I know. I know a lot more people who are not as good as I am. And most of my friends, they're really good people too. So, I'm doing okay. Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to identify with the poor. I'm going to identify with the left out, with the people outside of the life of the city. Because those people know something. Those people know that they need a Savior. The shepherds did not go, yeah, maybe I'll look into this Jesus thing. The shepherds didn't say, you know, that sounds really interesting, bright angel, but I got to get paid. And, you know, these these sheep aren't going to watch themselves. No. The shepherds said, wait a minute. A savior? Let's go. Right now. Let's go and find him. Let's go right now. And when we see this, what we're seeing is that you and I need to have that same attitude. We need to have the same attitude to come to Jesus and go, yes, I need a Savior. I'm going to go because I know my sins. You see, as Christians, it's so easy for us to put up a false sense of self-sufficiency, of our own morality, of I'm, I'm doing pretty good at Christianity, and so Jesus is lucky to have me on his team. When in reality, we're in the same boat as the shepherds. We need a Savior. I need a Savior. I need to take off my mask, take off the veneer that I've got it together, that everything is perfect, and say, My greed is more than I can handle. I need a savior. Let me go find a trough. To say that my lust is out of control. I need a savior. Let me go find a trough. That you know what? I think far too much about myself. That I have so much pride. I I need a savior. Let's go find this trough. 
And Jesus' birth, in the very way that it's framed, is a reminder to us as Christians that yes, you should have great fear. Yes, you should understand that what you have done, that there is a real sense of guilt, that shame is actually something that does haunt us, but you have an even greater Savior who chose to identify not with the top of the top, not with those in Rome. He came to identify with those of us on the streets, with those of us who know that they need a Savior. But Luke does something else. One last thing I want us to see. Uh, Luke's an incredible author. And when he writes his story, he echoes something a little bit later. When Jesus is born, he's wrapped in these, these swaddling clothes, these sort of excess wrap, wrap. I can't say this word. <laughs> these excess cloth wraps. He's wrapped in those. And then he's taken and he's laid down. And he's laid down in a borrowed feeding trough. When Jesus dies, Luke's gospel tells us something. It tells us that after his death, Jesus was wrapped in linen cloths and laid down in a borrowed tomb. And it's meant to echo in this same way. The same way that Jesus came into this world through someone's borrowed real estate, wrapped in unglamorous rags. The God of the universe who suffered for the sins of His people was laid down in the same way. Because when He died, what He was doing was making all of that peace all of that salvation that you and I need, He was making that possible. And what started in His birth seemed to end at His death, but we know the end of the story. We know that even though this is Christmas, Easter is coming, we know that when Jesus died, He was not finally dead. That three days later, He shook off those linens. He stood up off of that slab, and He walked out of that borrowed tomb. So this morning, the story of Jesus is a story to us that's a reminder. It's a reminder that as prideful as we can be, as complacent as this story is, it is a story that tells us that yes, you are broken. Yes, you are like the shepherds in darkness, but a great light has appeared. And a great Savior has come who will forgive us of all of our sins, who will cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, that He will accept us and forgive us in greater ways than we could possibly imagine. So what do we do today? Where does this leave us? I think this story has just two pictures of exactly what to do. In response to all of this, in response to the shock and the awe, in response to everything that's going on, you have on the one hand Mary, who sees all this, who watches all this happen and says, I need to think about that. I need to dwell on that. I need to work that and chew that up again and again. She contemplates things. It says she gathered these things up and contemplated them in her heart. For some of us, what we need to do in light of the Christmas story is be reminded and chew on the fact of what Jesus has done for us. We need to take five or ten minutes sometime later today and just rehearse the story and find ourselves in it again. But we don't just see how Mary responds. We also see how the shepherds respond.
The shepherds hear from the angel. They have their fear. They're told that they should have great joy and they go and see the source of that great joy, the one who will provide peace. They go and find the one who will be their salvation. And what do they immediately do? They run out and start telling everybody they know. While some of us need to spend time in contemplation, others of us need to actively show and share this to others. If this really is good news, if the news that you can be forgiven, that you can be unbound from your shame, that you can be freed from your guilt, that this is something that is good and warms our souls, then it's something that we can share with others. And that this peace that Jesus has brought into our heart is a peace that we can go out and wage today, which is tough. Some of the dinner tables that you'll go to later today aren't the easiest tables to be at. Some of the family responsibilities that maybe you'll go to later this week, that maybe you'll be a part of some other time around this time of year, that's not the easiest. But for some of us, the call is to go and wage the peace of Jesus.